I struggle with the board meetings. I mean, I like them because they're really smart people on our they board. Are. Yeah. But I don't understand really how to get the most out of them. I don't know. That's a very good way of putting it, and I'm in exactly agreement with you. Uh, this is I, such a first world problem. It's like, yes, we have this giant <laughs> venture capital, and I mean, this is a ridiculous thing to complain about. Right. This is the hardest problem in our lives right now. It's how to, how to get some use out of a meeting that for some reason we appear to be obliged to have. We don't really That's know right. why They're we're like having it. They want to help us, and we just we can't figure it out. Yeah. For us. <laughs> Um, I, I need to apologize. Before we start, I need to apologize for the audio quality last week, which is my fault. That's okay. That's okay. It was actually, I thought that was a good podcast. It just, it was really rough. Uh, once you disconnected and reconnected, it got a lot better. But oh, it really? Was yeah. sketchy up to that point. You know, I was on the Wi-Fi of the, of the conference and I switched to one of those little MiFi's and that's what, that was my disconnect, reconnect action. Yeah. So it, it can entirely be blamed on the network uh, bandwidth or something. Yep. What were you saying, John? Sorry. Oh, now that we've totally moved on from the topic, Brad Feld had a really interesting series on uh, uh, board meetings and how to make them not suck. Yes, and I and I follow that stuff, and that's why our board meetings suck. Because the, <laughs> uh, to, to those of you in the audience, the, the voice you hear there is John Sheehan, retired Marines, um, and that Twilio. Is, uh, now, uh, <laughs> uh, the 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 gist of the Brad Feld thing was like, hey, if you want to have interesting conversations in your board meetings and not just randomly reciting all the events of the previous two months, what you should do is distribute in advance a, a document that the people that are on the board can read in advance of the board meeting so that they're totally caught up. And then you can use the entire time of the board meeting to discuss rather than having to simply recite a bunch of facts. And so I do that. And I've been told by a couple of board members that I'm the only person who does that. And uh, they don't all read it, but they pretend like they did. And so, <laughs> so I don't actually recite, I don't, don't then recite the story of the previous two months. And I just say, all right, well, discuss, let's discuss. And, you know, it never really, because they haven't done the homework. It's like a, it's like a seminar with four graduate students, none of whom have done the assigned reading and all of whom, like, you can't, you have to pretend that everybody's done the assigned reading. So that's the trouble with Brad Feld's otherwise interesting advice. You need to bury like a nugget of like something interesting that's in the board meeting uh, in the notes. Pre yeah, in the notes. So like that there will you, be you, you can quiz them on it. Yeah, there. No, I don't have to quiz them. I'll just say there will be it just buried somewhere towards about two thirds of the way through in small print. There is a one hundred dollar bill taped to the bottom of every chair in the board meeting, and it'll just I say that. I don't think that would work for these guys. You yeah. think they would get I think the money? It would be like ten, maybe a hundred grand. No, come on. They're going to. Only half of them are actually in the room. So, unless you're going to sneak into their offices That's and true. plant money under their chairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. $100 is not enough. We did that with um, uh, a usability test at Microsoft a long time ago. I'm trying to prove. I, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time in Windows like 1.0 era where nobody could figure out what the menus meant because it would be like, you know, tools, options. And everybody was like, what are options? I don't know what that means. And so um, one of the user interface ideas was to change the status bar text at the bottom of the window. You know, it was like there was like a little gray bar there. And whatever menu item you were hovering over, the status bar text would describe what it did. And so you would hover over tools and hover over options, and it would say, Choose tools options in order to select the option on which you can configure all the options for your tools. And um, they, uh, they did a usability test of that because they had a theory that nobody was reading those or nobody even saw them. And, um, and th the way they did the usability test is they, they said there is a $50 bill taped to the bottom of your chair. It's yours. And nobody took it. Seems like a good test. End of story. And can I bring up one of my favorite anecdotes? And I might have told this on the podcast, although no. I did search, so it's on the show notes, that you always hear about bands like uh, rock bands that are on tour, having uh, the really big bands, having crazy parameters in their contracts that don't make any sense. Ah, like, uh, yes, the green M&Ms. Uh, yeah, the, the no green M&Ms thing. But the basis for that, actually, if you look it up, I think, I think it's on Snopes and other places, it's true. But there's a reason for it. The reason they put these obscure clauses in wasn't because they're crazy, or at least not just because they're crazy. You know, famous or rock divas. stars can do whatever they want. Yeah. It's because you could prove that you actually read the contract because they had right. a lot of specific requirements about how heavy the stage is and like the way things come in and out. Um, and if if they saw that you hadn't gotten to their crazy little parameter about the M and M's, then they assumed you hadn't read the rest of it. 
And the other well. stuff was important, like like uh, right. monitors on stage. Can we talk well, about the, monitors the, on oh stage? Oh God, Joel and his monitors on stage. Well, they had they they explained <laughs> like I remember I, I don't remember where I saw this. You can probably look it up. I'll try to find it online. But they had broken coliseums, like coliseums like didn't have the right flooring, and yeah. like their ha- stage was really well, heavy, and like it broke the floor of the stadium. <laughs> you're talking about flying thousands of pounds of gear in the air. Like it's very important that your rigging requirements are there, or you know, a stage comes, you know, or a speaker set comes, like, falling down onto someone, which is kind of a bad thing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's real, like, actual safety slash meaningful reasons for people to require that you actually read all this stuff and pay attention to it. Yeah. It was so, the uh, that, it was Van Halen, I think, who was, who was famous for their... Yeah. Uh, there's a couple bands who have done it in time, over time. I mean, I've Oh, seen, they all have things in there. Yeah. Um, well, remember, Van Halen some sort of, of it, invented the, the remove all the green, green M&M's. Some of it is, though, just because they're high-maintenance divas. Yeah. Sure. And some of it yeah. sounds really I mean, bad. I don't want but regular water. I, I want Fiji water in my I did a show once where room. I literally had uh, one. I had two writers for it because it was two bands. One of them was like absolutely must not be Aquafina, and the other one was <laughs> absolutely must be Aquafina. Yeah, and I always want Punyon Dew, as my audience knows, not Mountain Dew. This is actually Snopes. It's Snopes has the the exact thing I'm thinking of. So it's an interesting story, and you hear it cited occasionally. So it's um, a fun one. I, can I talk? Can we talk? Have we ever talked on the podcast about monitors on stage? We have not talked on the podcast about monitors on stage. I know how you love your monitors on stage, so feel free to rant. Is it on topic? It's off topic, but we'll make an exception. All right. Well, that's where I was last week because I was at. Um, the Disrupt Conference launch, launching Trello, Trello.com, T-R-E-L-L-O. Okay. And uh, and uh, they didn't have monitors on stage. And so for the entire three days, nobody on stage could hear what was going on. A monitor is a speaker placed on stage because usually the way the speakers are in the audience at a big auditorium, uh, they're, they're, they're delayed because of literally the sound of sound the speed of sound well they're pointed away from you so you don't get yeah. the sound until it's flown yeah. all the way back to the other to the end of the auditorium slapped back against the wall and then shot back to you right and so uh um yeah so they didn't have monitors on stage so at the end there was this rather hilarious kind of fruit show where there were seven finalists uh including us including um trello uh, to win the TechCrunch Disrupt contest. And they said, why don't you all come up on stage and then we'll announce the two final finalists and then we'll say who really won. And um, so everybody came up on stage except for one company, which was just gone by then or something. I don't know where they were. And then they said, okay, the two winners are, and everybody in the audience heard it except for the people on stage. And they're like, could everybody who is not one of the two winners please leave the stage? And Everybody on stage started looking at each other because we had no friggin' idea who the winner and the runner-up were. It was the weirdest, most awkward thing you've ever seen, and it was because of a lack of monitors. And it was sort of typical of the general AV screw-up, screw-upness of that whole uh, conference. Ooh. So that's a lame story. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it's. It, I know how you, you love think. to rant about it. I, <laughs> you you love cool to story, rant about bro. it. Cool story, bro. That's what you say. <laughs> Well, it is awkward. I mean, I guess what resonates is it's awkward to be on stage and not know not what you're supposed to, hear to do. Anything that's, that's a going really on. uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. What's funny is that a lot of times you have a panel there and they're just supposed to be chatting amongst themselves and they literally cannot hear one another. And so the conversation, is, they're just an awful panel. It'd be like a podcast where I take off my head, headphones. Well, I'm going to try that. I'm taking off my headphones now and we're doing a podcast. Alex, you signal to me when I need to say something. Let's try that. I won't be. You're supposed to do this on someone else's show, Joel, not ours. <laughs> oh, I was invited <laughs> I on the, no. uh, you yeah, know, the Experts Exchange. Experts Exchange has a podcast. I don't know if that topic's come up yet. He's not. Yes, let's, let's talk about John. John? <laughs> let's talk about John. Those are my favorite words in the whole world. Yay! Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So first so, of all, tell us who you are. Yes. All right. So I'm John Sheehan. I work at Twilio. My Stack Overflow rep is ridiculously not high enough. It doesn't matter anyway, because that, that was what I happened. That's what I did before I got a job that kept me busy was get points and stack overflow and hacker. Yeah. Anyway, I work for Twilio now. I lead our developer evangelism team. So I go around all over the place trying to make developers be more awesome. Cool. That's a great job. We have a, a lot of evangelists over here at the stack, um, but they're not really developer evangelists. So their life is a little we bit have easier. Rebecca. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, we do have a developer evangelist. Um, I got a carpenter uh, pencil. 
I, I like what you've named your your community managers though, like the, the chaos team, right? Yeah, no, they're chaos, not the chaos team. It's oh, just I'm, chaos. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's our community evangelists. Our community managers are separate from that. Right, right. There's two whole teams. There's chaos and community management. And chaos just sows chaos and orders carpenter pencils. I have one. And um, there's some Jedi outfits over there. I mean, it's absurd. And uh, the community team is actually on the boards, kicking ass and taking names and that kind of stuff. We're going to need a stack exchange site to keep all these titles straight. Yeah. Possibly. So... Actually, John, you know, I've been to the Twilio offices because uh, I believe one of our investors is also an investor in Twilio. That is correct. And, yep. and so you're in San Francisco, is that right? That is correct. Okay, great. And then, so Twilio, like, I had it explained to me, but I still don't understand. <laughs> it's a phone-based service, is that right? This is about telephones? Yep. So essentially, it makes it really easy to connect, uh, makes it easy for web developers to build telephony, voice, and SMS applications. So if you have a web application or mobile application, and you want to add uh, automated calling to it, inbound, outbound, SMS, uh, those types of features, we have really simple APIs for making that happen. So for instance, like the, the canonical use case is uh, GroupMe, which is everyone should, I think is familiar with, is you know big group messaging application. Like we handle all of their SMS. We're the we make sure that they don't have to worry about carrier negotiations and all of that stuff. So, uh, GroupMe is a, you know a great customer of ours and and, and probably the, the best example of an SMS use case. But we also have a lot of uh, voice voice based uh, customers. So, uh, political parties, Intuit, uh, eBay. There's a whole Airbnb. All their new trust stuff runs on us. Uh, there's a, a ton of them on the Twilio webpage. If you want to jump into those types of things. You know, it's interesting, John, because uh, mobile is such a huge thing, and, and we actually have a mobile interface for Stack Exchange now, which I'm sure you've seen by now. And part of the motivation for that was realizing that phones, I mean, if you consider from like 2007, pretty much the launch of the iPhone, to now, I mean, phones are really credible sort of mobile devices now for just, you know, getting to web content. Um, but I think that's a double-edged sword for, for some of the phone functionality, because what I find, and I've heard this communicated by others as well, is... You almost, it's rare to use your phone to talk to a person anymore. <laughs> it's rare to use your phone for. Uh, yeah, the average length I, of I guess phone text calls is going down. still pretty big, but I could see like longer term, like the web. And isn't Apple pretty much introducing their own messaging system now? On the phone? Yeah, true. On the phone? Really? Yeah, That's what I so, heard because it was like, okay, so BlackBerry, one of the things about BlackBerry, it has this complex messaging stuff built in. I know nothing about it, but that was a big attraction of the platform. The BBM. Is, yeah, the BBM or whatever the hell it is, which is crazy because if you think basically Twitter is, you know, web messaging. And I don't know if you think like five to ten years from now, I mean, the whole text messaging industry is a little bit of a, I want to say, scam. Oh, they, they, they it's charge a, a lot scam. for it. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. huge scam because it costs them nothing. Yeah, and they charge yeah, 25 kind of cents a scam. And, and I kind of wonder if like, okay, the flip side of mobile phones becoming really good web devices is there'll be these alternate messaging platforms that are essentially free or near free. I think uh, it's, I think it's less than 10 years. I mean, I think they're already starting to see a, a big slowdown in the amount of SMS being used because you have, you know, everything from, like, BBM. I think especially once Apple rolls out, like, its new iMessenger service thing, like, everyone is trying to get rid of SMS because, like, people in the tech world hate it because they're... Yeah. They're charging you twenty cents a piece for something that costs them nothing to deliver. Yeah, and if you had to send a movie over SMS at SMS rates, it would be like all of the money in the world, yeah. times a million. Well, billion, and they're using trillion. a control channel. Yeah, that's the that's the worst part. Meaning they're not even running it on a data channel or no, anything. No, they're not even using any. They're bandwidth. using empty space right. in the da in the cell control channel that yeah. they have to send empty packets in instead. But now they're just saying, oh, we'll actually put some data in there and then charge you for it. Yep. Now, of course, this is not going to affect Twilio. It's not like this is going to be a change that happens, you know, overnight anyway. And, it's, and, I mean, plus, like you said, there's still voice messaging that still still needs to go out. There's still legitimate cases where you want to send a voice message to someone. Um, but yeah, I was just curious what I, your thinking was of, like, you know, where we are and where we're going on this. Yep. So our, our slogan, first of all, is, like, cloud communication. So voice, is, voice and SMS is what we're doing now. But we have every intention of following the industry and, and, and where it goes and and you know, what communication methods people are using yep. to talk to each other. Smoke um, clouds. Think, yeah, Smoke sure. Uh, things Anything like iMessage cloudy. actually are really good for us because uh, 
iMessage is the exact same app as the SMS app. So the more time people spend in there, the more time they're spending sending messages as a whole. And if messaging goes up, then more people will send text messages and more people will be willing to receive them. So, uh, you know, that's not a bad thing for us necessarily. Um, we, we're sort of starting to, we've just sort of breached like the next stage of what we're trying to do as a quote cloud communications company. Uh, so we just added uh, a voice over IP service that runs through web browser and also has iOS and Android SDKs. So any iPod touch with a data connection is now essentially a phone as well. So uh, I don't think voice communication is going anywhere. I know geeks like to, to rip on it because we hate talking on the phone, but uh, the general population I don't think is gonna give up uh, voice communication over the phone or phone-like experiences anytime soon. Yeah. No. Mostly, I was I was thinking more of the the, the text messaging. I mean, I agree. When you need voice, it's a different medium. I mean, we we talk about that a lot, actually, Joel. You know, about escalating. Like when you're doing stuff online, right. it's like okay, sometimes you just have to call a person because it's not you don't have enough emotional bandwidth in the uh, yes. ASCII you know sequences that you're able to use. Yes. Emoticons are not cutting it anymore. Yeah. Essentially, so I totally you can't, get that. Uh, believe yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. It, no matter how good the online communication mechanism is. Uh, it doesn't even even voice is nowhere near video in terms of but voice is a lot better in terms of just like getting immediate feedback from the person you're talking to as to whether they're comprehending you and how they're responding to it and how they're feeling about it. Uh, it's just like a really important part of normal human conversations and the whole texting and stuff that kind of goes away. So it's useful for like the the transmission of of information bits like I need to inform you that I will be arriving home at 6 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. Uh, but but it's not useful for any kind of conversations. Yes, I've heard good things about the Google Hangouts. That was one of the, sort of the major features of Google Plus that I keep that I actually keep hearing about. That doesn't seem to be you know sort of a fad. Is this idea that they have this really easy multi-person video, video and chat, voice? Yeah. yeah, we've used it a bunch at the office, and it's great for that, especially since we've got everyone in like all these different time zones. It's fun just hopping in, you know, yeah. eight nine people from the team and just chatting for a bit about stuff. How, how far do I have to move away from the microphone? You got far enough away. Head? You got far enough away. You're good. <laughs> you could just give me a, a switch. Every time I blow my nose, I go to the other side of the room. I don't know why I'm a little bit slippery. I was invited to brunch uh, at the house of people with cats. So, Joel, I have a mildly amusing story for you. So yeah. uh, I went to the city to do this little um, promotional thing for this, this game, and they were recording segments of us talking about the game uh, on video. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I sat down to do this. And I was like, oh, this is no problem. I do podcasts. You know, I'm good at, you know, just making up crap. That, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds reasonable. Uh, I'm a professional at this. Uh-huh. And as we were doing it, he's like, wait, wait, wait. You have to look at me. You know, I, 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 I have done the voice thing plenty. But, uh-huh. like, I'd forgotten about You're the whole eye look. contact and, like, the whole video aspect of, uh, <laughs> of communicating with, uh, you know, That's a, true. A I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look at our audience for the rest of the, rest of the podcast over here. Hey guys, are, are you going to whisper in that low, grumbly voice the whole I, time too? I, I'm, I'm looking at you. Project, Joel. <laughs> I, can, I can't even hear what you're saying. I, actually, I can, I can see you. <laughs> All right, uh, Joel, well, we, you're the worst stalker ever. <laughs> the creepiest, or just the? I'm sort of wearing my George Costanza outfit. Um, can we talk about how Google ripped off Costanza from us? The Costanza wallet. Oh. That's true. We had a Costanza wallet project internally. But that wasn't really a, a and major they made it a wallet wallet. Yeah, that was project. not. A, yeah, we can. We'll, we'll I don't survive. feel like they stole it from us. No, you know, we did it first, though. I do want to point that out. It's we were not like, like a they cool had indie Google band. Punion. That's right, Google Punion. No, no, the, over my Google, dead body. The Google Exchange. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to drive down to Mountain View if I hear about a Google Punion because now it's personal. Do <laughs> yeah, you understand? Exactly. Any Googlers listening? <laughs> you're like you're like driving no, down no. there. You got your blow up doll, so you can drive in the carpool lane. Get <laughs> <laughs> Jack to see it. <laughs> Yeah, the drive to Mountain View can be pretty rough from it here. Is, it is. That's not a fun drive <laughs> if there's a lot of traffic. You, you don't need the blow-up doll to drive in the carpool lane in California, though. If I've learned anything in the first couple months of living here, it's that anybody can drive in any lane or non-lane at any point that they want to. At any speed. I, who is telling me that they got pulled over in the carpool lane because they were with somebody who was sleeping and had leaned back? <laughs> one, of my friends, and the, one of my friends and the cop was like oh oops okay gone one of my friends got a ticket for driving the carpool lane without anyone else at like 8.58 a.m. and you know they, they convert to, to like nine. regular at 9 yeah. and the cop still gave him a ticket yeah it's just revenue <sighs> wow. 
What's on? Uh, that's, that's off topic. Let's get back on topic. This week, new in the Stack Exchange universe, we got linguistics. Yep. Linguistics, um, and, and Joel has a particular interest in linguistics. Yes, my father is a retired professor of linguistics. He took yep. one look at it and said, sniff, looks like a bunch of amateurs. And yes. I said, that's because you're not in there. Yes. Get in there. Start answering right. some hard sociolinguistics questions. If you have that's questions right. about bilingual education and testing, world expert Bernard Spolsky will answer them in linguistics.stackexchange.com. I'm trying to see what else we have coming up. Feature-wise. Uh, That'll be interesting. Oh, you're looking at the Area 51. Yeah. Q. Q. Uh, yeah. That, can we can Biblical Herman... How do you how do I pronounce this? Hermeneutics? Hermeneutics. That's going to be a good one. That's going to be good. That'll be yeah, good. Yeah, well, we had talked a little bit... So we have a Christianity site now, yeah. and I'm a little bit torn on that because the Judaism site... Is right. very very technical, and I did not appreciate how technical it is. Yeah. Until I saw our Christianity site, yeah. and I realized that well, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. But our engine is much better when you're discussing technical stuff, like at some level. Right. Um, so the technical application to religion is not something I would normally sort of follow through, but I, but I get it now, seeing the difference between Christianity and biblical hermeneutics. So. I'm kind of anxious to see that one go because I'm not 100% convinced that Christianity's working uh, the way we want it to. And I encourage <laughs> that, anyone, anyone that, listening to go to the Judaism site and just, it's, it's the, I don't want to sound negative, it's the craziest site because like the things that are discussed there are, are serious things, yes. you know, of import, of worth. This is serious stuff. They seem so crazy from the outside and not in, in a, in a, just technical, very, 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 very highly technical. Right. Right. That, like, who that, would care about this, right? You know? Right. Orthodox Judaism has got an awful lot of very specific ritual things that you have to do exactly right and things that are very specifically prohibited. And it basically has guidance for every single thing you would ever do during the day. And Joel was always telling me, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I, I know these guys. He's like, this is this this is the right site for our engine. You know, this yeah. is totally going to work. And I totally didn't appreciate that at the time. I was like, whatever, Joel. But, like, he's so you're so right. <laughs> but I, I just looked at the Christianity site today, and compared to when we looked at it a couple of weeks ago— it's uh, it's getting a lot more fact based. Good, you know what is the physical evidence for a global flood? Okay, well that's not exactly fact, but okay, you know you see what I mean there. It's like at least it's a real question, and there can be answers that are that are you know <laughs> false right. Bible. Yeah, that's right. That's good. The answer I mean, is fish like on the top of Mount Ararat. How could fish have gotten to the top of Mount Ararat if it hadn't been flooded? Hmm. I think your quote about out of context, Jeff, where you said, I'm not 100% sure Christianity is working is a fantastic pull quote from this podcast. <laughs> We've had worse. We've uh, had I, I am worse. not a religious person. I have no problem with religion. Um, it's just I, the, the thing I really worry about is does it work on our engine? You know, I, I'm not so concerned with the topic necessarily. It's just I, I want it to work on our engine, and I want it to produce, you know, pages that make the Internet better. I'm not fully convinced that's happening on Christianity at the moment, but uh, we'll see. It's still, it's still early. I mean, we give these sites quite a while uh, to grow before we consider the prospect of taking them down. So we'll see. <sighs> what else is new here in the uh, – yeah. How do you think that would go over if you took down that site? I, I, oh, I have can't. no vested interest either way, but I, I'm curious. Like, would, do you think there'd be an outrage over that? Oh, yes. Global holy war, crusades, jihad. Well, one thing we have seen is from some sites, um, the people on it kind of call for it to get taken down. Like, they realize they've run out of things to talk about. That happened on... Um, but that was, was atheism. This? That was atheism, which is... <laughs> of course, the of course they ran out of but, things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, but I, I do think it's possible. Like, and this is actually being discussed on Bitcoin as well. Is is do we really have anything else to talk about? You know, like, are there really that many Bitcoin related questions? Like, no. they eventually sort of they start spinning their wheels. They realize they're talking about the same things with the same people over and over, and it's just not. That's ultimately not satisfying. I mean, you've got to have some new people coming in and new content being generated at some level. I mean, that's that's how we define a growing site is. Are at least some new people finding it, you know? It can't just be a private club for 10 people. I mean, they could produce amazing content, those 10 people. I mean, it happens all the time. 
but that's not sustainable. Like a year from now, you're going to be bored with those 10 people. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how much you may like them now, well, uh, a year of that is going to... I mean, one thing up. you may think about with, with Bitcoin is it may become an awesome FAQ for Bitcoin that just sees very, very little activity until there is a new question, um, which may be okay. Uh, we've never really thought about having a site like that, but... You know, if it were just a community-moderated FAQ where you don't actually get that many questions, and when you do, you know, you kill them, and you and you, you know, there's a few people checking in there and keeping it up to date. Um, that's not the end of the world for something like Bitcoin. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we're still mapping. You know, what what's the correct size of a site? What topic mm-hmm. deserves its own site? Right. And now that we've opened the Pandora's box of Facebook Stack Overflow, we have the additional concern of, you know, when do you start defining? sub cities within cities you know if you have a really large site when do you start dividing it up into you know boroughs like new york right this is brooklyn (laughs) this is manhattan that sort of thing but you have to be quite large so i there's no defined formula and we're still figuring it out Um, but i think i do think it's better to start a little bit broad than than highly highly specific and actually joel one thing we're going to start doing for the private betas is we're going to allow people to uh invite uh, their friends to the private beta to sort of invite oh, other, ex- invite that, other experts, That's not right. random people. Yeah, well, one of the problems we had is that a private beta would get started and there would be four or five people in there and they would know four or five other experts and just be unable to bring them in even during the private beta. And so the private beta would sort of stagnate and they would be, there would be pressure to sort of open it up to a public beta um, just because the private people have nothing to talk about amongst themselves. Yeah, the only purpose of the private beta is just to, to as Joel says, turn the lights on, warm up the uh, the, the the environment, uh, mm-hmm. make sure it's hospitable when it right. goes. Because we want it to make, we want every private beta to go all the way through and become a public beta. Right. Um, but we got to get some evidence that a the questions are making the internet better, are sort of reasonable questions. There's yeah. a, at least enough of them to fill the front page. Hopefully right. more than that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Even with that, sometimes I feel like we get private betas that. The, the site comes out and it feels kind of amateur and it takes a couple of months in public beta before it starts to get a lot better. Like I saw that with physics and a few others where it just looks yeah. like high school teachers. And then by the time it actually gets out, it, you know, it takes a couple of months and then it gets really good. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it does devalue slightly um, the value of, of committing to a proposal because before that was sort of the only way to get the golden ticket to go to the you know magic factory where we make all the questions right. uh, and access the private beta, but now we're realizing that these private betas some of some of them went on for like two weeks. They're going on for much much longer, and that's yeah. the point at which I start to worry that if we're going to have a lot of private betas, they're going to go on longer than seven days. We should, should allow people to invite yeah. other experts to participate. It has come up like cryptography, which I think is doing okay. Um, somebody emailed me and said, you know, there's this one guy who's really you need to get him into the private beta, and I was like, well. A, I can't, and B, it won't, it won't matter. Cryptography should come out of beta pretty rapidly, but it didn't, actually. <laughs> it took longer than seven days to come out, and then I felt bad. So we want to unlock the ability to to invite experts to these private betas if you know somebody good. Um, and, and, and hopefully that'll just help the private betas cool. stay a little bit healthier as we get, get on here. So, John, you were at the Build Conference in uh, Los Angeles. Is that where it was? <laughs> Uh, in Anaheim, yeah. Yeah. Near, across the street from Disney World. Disney World. So, I mean, really pretty much just an extension of Disney World, only with a slightly more Steve Bomber-esque kind of hue. Right. So it was like Disney World if you were there with a bunch of middle-aged dudes who, <laughs> by the middle of the afternoon, started to smell really bad. What? No air conditioning? It took until the middle of the afternoon? <laughs> wait a minute. Why? Wait. Uh, let's forget the smelling for a moment. Uh, Microsoft well, famously I'll... announced Windows uh, 8. Are we up to? Oh, which podcast is this, by the way? Uh, 19. This is Stack Exchange Podcast episode 19. 19. I just have to say that at least once during the show. Okay, Windows 8. Yeah. So, yeah, Windows 8. And it what? came out. It did not. It was just announced. It's a developer preview. They, gave a develop- they have a developer preview out. Yeah. So, if you're a developer, you can try out the form factor, the UI of it. But it's still, like, at least probably a year away from actually launching. And that's crazy. A year? They, that, those cycles, the Windows takes forever. And it's okay. I don't want to upgrade I mean, Windows it's an operating often. system. No, but I mean, wait, Apple wait, what has a new one every year. I don't think you even own any machines that run Windows. Yeah, do you, I do. I have one downstairs under the desk that I remote desktop into for running QuickBooks. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that has happened at every company I've worked at. Yeah. 
one leftover Windows machine for running QuickBooks. Like QuickBooks should just come with like a ThinkPad, like the, in the box. It should be a, you want QuickBooks, <laughs> you get a ThinkPad. That would cost less actually than the the QuickBooks payroll service. You know, I mean, they could afford to do that. It would it would not make a dent in their in their revenue. Um, I was thinking maybe I could get you get one of those like uh, Amazon instances or something, you know, and just use that for QuickBooks. And, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, Windows Eight. It's it's pretty. It's a great demo, but. Uh, so they gave out these tablets that uh, all the developers there were using. And I tried using it for a couple of days. And at first, it's really cool. And then slowly, it degrades into like mind-numbing tedium. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like they've taken touch and made it completely unintuitive. So like you have to memorize really? everything. It feels like you're constantly trying to remember what gesture to take. Nothing is immediately obvious. Like, for instance, uh, if you're in Metro IE and you want to do anything, you have to either swipe from the top or bottom or left or right. But like that UI isn't there, so it's like out of your sight and out of your mind. So you mean if you there's don't... no indicator to remind you that that's, there's no affordances they would say in UI design. Exactly. Right. Like like if I gave it to somebody who didn't know that that was the gesture to get the URL bar, they would never be able to do anything besides click on links. Right. Um, after, but maybe that's intentional. While, <laughs> maybe. maybe that's what they want. Yeah. After that, a while, it feels like I just felt like my brain was working just to use the thing. Um. That, is that just like your initial experience, or do you think you would get used to it quickly? Or no, I, like, I never had that experience with iPad or iPhone. It, right, it always just exactly. did exactly what I. And I feel like, like actually, the longer I used it, the less I liked it. Oh boy! So they got some work, and they have that whole weird thing where it's got this wonderful user interface, and then you run QuickBooks, and it comes up with an MDI window and little the little the different kinds of menu bars and the the close button for the. For the sub menu and the close for the sub window and the close button for the main window and they're right next to each other and all that MDI inherited crap. Well, one thing that's clear is you you can't have the same UI for a tablet that you can for sort of a general purpose mouse and keyboard computer. I mean, yeah, but aren't they trying? Mm, well, it's one operating system that's trying to serve yeah. both purposes. I mean, you could argue that Apple has a better approach here with you know they have iOS, which is a completely different family tree. Than OS ten, right? Well, yeah, I mean, but they're they're, not, they're merging they're them together. To merge them. Yeah, like for example, yeah, they're merging um, them, but I mean in a much less aggressive way. I mean, Microsoft is literally shipping the same product in the box. Well, I don't know if you've runs. noticed it, but um, uh, the the Apple doesn't want you to use a mouse anymore. They have a they have a trackpad. I'm, I'm using one right now, a trackpad for the desktop. And if when you look at Lion, there's actually stuff you can't do if you have a mouse. There's just missing features that you cannot get. For example, there's this, there's a bunch of gestures that I can use on a trackpad, like put four fingers on and spread them further apart, which reveals the desktop. There'd, oh. there'd be no way to get kind of get that on a mouse. That's kind of an absurd gesture, isn't it? I mean, um, it's, it's like spread really your fingers of, apart and, and, and it shows the of, desktop. It's kind of absurd, actually. It, it's, it's kind of at the outer extreme. Point being that um, they, they just don't want anybody using uh, mice they want everybody using the direct touch. And then the, in line also, they switched the direction of scrolling. So when you, what used to be up became down so that it would be compatible between touching the actual glass screen where you drag down to scroll up and touching the mouse where you drag down to scroll down. The end result is if you only use computers with Lion, it's fine. Yeah, if you ever but use if you anything have to else. Use anything else at it all drives it's, you mad. Drives you insane. I know. Or or if you plug a mouse in with a scroll wheel, which you can't separate the mouse scroll direction from the trackpad scroll mm. direction. No, wait. So yeah, but a mouse much, with a scroll oh, wheel. Oh, and that's gets, like, hold on, it gets that's worse. It's like a floppy disk. That's like right. if you plug in a floppy disk. <laughs> you know, why do you have you're, you're a right, 1987 a mouse with a well? Perfect, perfect yeah. example. I've got four Mac Minis here. Yeah. That I use for running all our Skype instances. Yeah, and so and John, you to your point, not only can you mice. not sell, uh, separate the trackpad from the mouse, but even worse, you can't edit the scrolling options inside the mouse. So if you and if you don't, you can't get to the trackpad options if you don't have a trackpad connected. So basically, if you just plug in a mouse and don't have a trackpad connected, there's no way to go back to the type of scrolling that you're used to. There's no way to get to that menu option. Exactly. So pretty much. Every time I scroll, I do a calibration scroll to figure out which direction I need to go, and then I do the actual <laughs> scroll. Yeah, you did a little bit of... Uh, uh, um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with having scroll go in the opposite direction. It was very intuitive to me for some reason. I never got it wrong. On the touchpad, I, I like it. Yeah, because on the uh, touchpad, you're directly manipulating the screen. Uh, sorry, on the, on the iPad 
pad, you're directly manipulating the document. And on the touchpad or whatever it is, you're indirectly manipulating the document. So it's okay for it to be backwards. Well, th- Joel, that's what I'm getting at. It's like I think there actually should be two different operatings, two different lineages here. I don't think it's yeah. actually correct to, to merge them or try to do both in right. the same box right. because it's just so such a different experience that, like, I think Apple kind of stumbled on the right thing here, which is just start from scratch, say we're going to build a touch device, have a complete, you know, from scratch operating system built for that, and then just treat the computer stuff as, you know, whatever it is. I know they're, like you said, they're trying to morph some of the, the laptops into touch devices, but I'm not convinced that's really going to work. I think they're just different things. So I'm skeptical that, I, although I'd love Metro, I think it's a very nice looking UI, I think it's very well implemented. Um, putting them both in the same box strikes me as kind of the wrong strategy here. Yeah. Um, so so we'll, we'll see what happens. Because I know, John, you got so you got a free, you got the free tablet, right? You got the hardware, the free thing yeah. for going to build? Yep, so I got the tablet, and uh, I had one that I got to play with a couple of days while I was there, but I have one new in the box. And actually, if you want to win the tablet that I do not want... Yeah. Um, we uh, win. Can I, am I qualified or am I excluded somehow? Uh, no, you are not win. You are not excluded. You you can win if you'd like. Okay, I'm there. I'm tweeting. Twilio is great. Twilio.com slash blog. <laughs> Look for the contest where I'm giving away the tablet. I hope nice. Tweet. that Twilio. doesn't rub you the wrong way. Dot com slash blog. No, Give me a I'm going to win it, man. It? You just uh, got to build a Twilio app using WinRT and it's it's yours. I'm going to build Excellent. an app that so calls you win, every five wait, wait, wait. minutes so until WinRT, I win. That's the new set of APIs that, that deal You're, with... Yep, yep, exactly. Basically a Metro app. Okay, a Metro app, I see. So basically one of the touch-enabled apps. That's cool. Kind of. Yep. I mean, you don't have Metro's to use Metro, Metro with <laughs> touch, but no, I, I do struggle VB6. to see where a can, lot of people are Can you build a Metro app with Visual Basic with VB6? Or is uh, that it? Is this finally com. the end of the they line? Still have, it's still C++. It's basically plus. com. It's com++. Plus it, plus. it is. It really is com. It's not like, like .NET interop or whatever. No. Like, People were bitching about that because they said Microsoft must really not like .NET. Because <laughs> if Windows, you look at all the, like, the core you know, things they build sure. into Windows, almost nothing is .NET. Media Center was the only exception. And I, Media Center is now being sort of demoted. I think of. that the Windows team didn't want to ship a .NET runtime until I don't know how when. Because, um, I mean, now they do finally. But just because they had to fit Windows onto five floppy disks or whatever the heck the limitation was. <laughs> And at build, like that division between, you know, the developer tools division and the Windows teams was like, if you follow it at all, like through, you know, whatever, yeah. Microsoft Insider, Mary Jo Foley, or any any sort of passive interest in what's going on there, you could like feel the rift between those two teams. <laughs> like, maybe it's just because I've paid more attention to the drama than most people, but it literally felt like the Windows team was finally saying like, step aside, boys, we got this now. And <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's too bad because I like what Dev, DevDiv does. Like I, I like ASP.NET. I'm a you know big .NET developer. Sure. So it just I, it it felt like a political rift. Like it felt like totally oh, yeah. different people presenting everything than what you would normally. I've been to the last five Microsoft conferences. I don't know any of those people that presented. So uh, except for Sinoski, I guess. But it just felt like it's always there had been, been a that big way. sea change, a big political. No, there has always been. It, it has always been that way between. Whether it was .NET versus uh, Windows or Windows versus apps, there was always just like you, you, you go to some Microsoft events and you'd know all the people. And then you find that at some other Microsoft event and you look at the names of the speakers and you'd be like, who the heck are these people? And there'd be like this, they would be like the other division, which was usually Windows. And they'd be like, hey, GDI, it's got all kinds of new calls where you can make Bezier curves. Uh, okay. The last thing on the client yeah. or on the on the tablet mm-hmm. is uh, regardless of the hardware they gave us because that's pre-release developer hardware and I get that. But yeah. do you, do, does anybody have any faith in any PC manufacturer making a tablet that you'll actually want to buy? I have none. Nope. So to me, they're just going to have that, a lot I'm, of stickers on them. Dead. The first problem is rubbing off all the little stickers that say Intel inside and. Uh, you know, those little stickers that, that, that well, you get on the PC hardware. And look, I was ranting to Joel just before the podcast started Windows. about, or and I think you too, John, about my Android phone. And it's like, I'm convinced that half the problem is, you know, I had to root it as soon as I got it pretty much. Because, mm-hmm. of course, Verizon, in addition to the crapware that Motorola loads up on it, Verizon loads up even more. Like, there's so much to be said. And we've talked about the fascism in tech before and how it can often lead to a better product. And there's so much to be said for it. And, yeah, all of these ven- PC vendors who don't 
truly get how to design and build great products, they're going to go out and screw up tablet yeah. just like all the android manufacturers not, have gone and screwed up android i don't think it's that they don't get how to make good products uh, like if you're looking at dell hp whatever i think it's that they can't afford to because their r&d budgets are just not big enough so i mean they they, they probably could create good hardware if they i don't think they're capable their, i think no, no they, they don't have afford to increase no, no, their R&D they don't budgets have someone they don't have someone there to do it and they have all they these other competing and they have all these competing interests there like the reason it works at apple is you have one fascist guy at the top fascist in the good way yeah who's going this is our focus like it's all user experience we're not going to ship until it's ready and then you get a good product whereas with the pc guys it's like all right we need to have something out at this time and we've got three different political factions inside the company we're all competing for stuff things in and there. we want the extra three dollars from microsoft for sticking a label on the a outside sticker. so yeah. forgetting the fact that we could charge fifty dollars more for the product if we made a good product instead of a piece of crap product. i went to you know in 2000 when, when did they do the pdc where they announced um, Longhorn. It must have been 2001, 2002. Long time ago. 2004. It was a thing that never shipped. And um, uh, the guy that was in charge of user experience for Windows, um, whose name I will remember shortly, he's long since left Microsoft, um, gave this huge speech where, where he said, you know, if you bought a sports car and it had all kinds of stickers on it that were like, you know, bragging about the type of engine inside and stuff like that, you'd be furious. You just spent $200,000 on an awesome sports car and it's covered with all these stupid stickers. Yeah. And um, and so he said, we consider the Windows experience in Longhorn has to be awesome from the, you know, from soup to nuts. And that means no stupid stickers. And uh, the audience cheered so loudly. It was like there was like standing ovation for 15 minutes. And uh, yeah, they couldn't even get rid of the Windows sticker. Like, I understand the Intel sticker they may not control, but the Windows sticker, that's them. Yeah. There's just, it's there's, still there. I'm looking at these very, very recent vintage ThinkPads, and they yeah. all have three stickers on them. Yeah, they there's have. a Lenovo, there's a Windows, and there's an Intel sticker on it. And, and then the there's one. And then there, oh, ThinkPad. No, yeah. no, there's, well, there's Lenovo, and there's the ThinkPad emblem. Like, there's yeah. the Lenovo sticker, and then the ThinkPad emblem. Right. And then, and then there's the Lenovo brand again. Humph. We're off topic a little bit. This is the Stack Exchange podcast. Let's talk about People, Twilio. There's one person complaining we're not hearing enough about Twilio. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear it's not me or one of my coworkers. Are you, are you sure? You're not paying this person to talk to ask about Twilio? I just went in there and they're all talking about stickers. But they're talking about the good kind of stickers, the stickers that you love, that you want. Yeah, well, no, 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 Joel. Those are stickers you put on because you, put you want on yourself. to. These are stickers exactly. you put on because someone paid you to do it. Yeah. How many people are there Different in thing. the world who, like, if they shipped a Dell sticker in every box, would stick it on... Anything. You know, anything. I put. I put. I like to put things like that on my phone. Mm. Speaking of popular stickers, yeah. Stack Overflow stickers at hackathons. Yeah, they're very popular. Yep. 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 Burns should, through about do a lot of that. 200, 250 of them at the Disrupt Hackathon. You know what's really hot right now? Trello T-shirts. Yes, they are oh, very hot right now. Those? Oh yeah, you got to. You have to start using Trello at Twilio. Yeah. Actually, we, I, I'm already signed up. I'm one of the 800,000 new users already. Yeah. Well, just um, make a little tweet saying I'm using, I'm using Trello at, at Twilio and somebody will bring you a, a t-shirt. If I read that blog post correctly, too, the, about the time you came up with Trello was right about the time we started talking about sponsoring Dev Days. So I'm going to take credit for the name. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> uh, oh, we, don't, we don't speak of that anymore, John. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Do you know why Dev Days didn't work? Because we're not giving away like some $1,000 computer for free to everybody who attends Dev Days. That would make people want to go. They're actually yeah. selling on eBay for about $2,500. They People have to be bribed with a piece of, let's just yeah, call I mean, it $1,000 worth of hardware. It's $400 to go to Google I.O. and you get like two grand worth of hardware. Yeah, I mean, that's how much this conference costs, probably $5,000 to put on, $1,000 worth of hardware and crap that they pass out, and they can only get people to pay $400 for that whole kit and caboodle. I don't know about this whole conference idea as a business <laughs> model. <laughs> it's sort of sad, but conferences are, are so fun to put well, on. It's a, de- a developer conference like that. It's yeah. not, I mean, Twilio's doing theirs starting what? It starts tomorrow, tomorrow. right, John? Tomorrow, yeah. yep. Um, and it's it's a marketing expense. Of course. If you're willing to spend for it. And if people will come under those circumstances, then, yeah. then you win. But yeah. that's what it is at the end of the day, is it's did, a big marketing expense. Did I hear that Salesforce had 40,000 people at their friggin' conference? I doubt it, but I know Oracle does. They, Oracle Open World is no, 43. They really? Did. Damn. Well, it's, that's it's that's because they have Metallica and the zoo. Black Eyed Peas. No, but nobody goes just to hear Metallica and the Black Eyed Peas. To the, would you really go to a Salesforce conference just because the bands you liked were there? 
I don't know. I'm guessing that the people I met there, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I would say, is my mind. company paying for me to go? If so, yeah. possibly. That's so strange. It, who, who, it's who? a really, really interesting conference. It's like you talk to 100 people to meet one interesting person, but the one interesting person you talk to is really, really interesting. That's cool. Sort of like, sort of like South by Southwest. It's like uh-huh. you have to talk to millions of people to find the interesting people, but the interesting people are more interesting than any other place. So it's like the, it's like the, uh, the negative image of Burning Man. I have no idea. Like like Burning Man. This is where, would be this is where Jeff Adam was supposed to. Jeff, you have comments on that. Jeff, I, I, I have not man. been to Burning Man. I cannot speak to that. I am <sighs> shocked to hear that. Can we get really? some questions from the? From no, the, uh, you know, I'm a little stick. bit of a square, actually. And you know, you know, actually, let me explain my position on Burning okay. Man. <laughs> I yeah. like it. You know, I'm into I'm into like alternative stuff. That's cool. Art. But like being in the desert with a bunch of dust. Oh yeah, yeah. For yeah. like a week with like hardly any clothes on. Like, no. That's not like my idea of a good time. Like I, I like creature comforts, man. Yeah, that's that's that, like hell. that part of it freaks me out. And like, I, and I know, know exactly what that's like because I did that in the army and it was not fun and I did not enjoy it. Yeah, it was the desert and it was dusty, and um, you know, and you had to squat to poop. It, forget it; it's just not happening. <laughs> it's environmentally, it's scary. Like just the the environment is a little freaking me. It's not so much the people, the environment. Like that's all fine. It gets cool, and you can when you get really rich, they have this service where they'll bring you a really nice RV that's all set up, <laughs> and you can live there. Yeah, cheat. which by the way, is that it's, the entire? Oh, and actually, and you can hire people allowed. to build your art exhibits for you. So basically, <laughs> you're going and you living totally in a luxury cheat. tour bus for five days <laughs> yeah. in the desert. Like that's not going to burn. I don't. That I have no count. desire to go that to Burning Man. But I'm sorry if you do that. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. not going to Burning Man right. if you do that. Right. You're not. Well, what if a a, a, a fat, dusty, naked guy sits on your face? Have you seen the video of the the naked wizard gets tased at Coachella? Uh, that's a great what? video. We are so <laughs> off Google the topic. Naked Wizard gets tased at Coachella. I want to talk about Stack Exchange. Do we have any features or anything, Jeff? Anything? Yeah, anything? Let's talk it's about been... the API. API. About which API? John the, loves the, APIs. The proposed API revisions. Oh yeah. Oh Kevin yeah. That's actually proposal. no. John brings up a really good point. So we are going to do uh, Stack Exchange API 2.0. Now, before uh-huh. every time we say this, we have to always preface it with, "Look, this is not the one where you'll be able to write to the site," because <laughs> like everybody always asks that. Because yeah. um, you and I've covered this on previous podcasts, but writing is really, really scary because one of the things that we we kind of keeps me up at night is this idea that someone could algorithmically, well, not even algorithmically, just write a console app to spam our site with sure. BS questions. Like, I mean, they kind of you can have no anyway. idea how much time we spend worrying about BS questions on Stack Overflow, like today, right now. Yeah. Without adding writing to the mix, it's actually a daily struggle. In fact, one of the, let me just give you an example. Two things we're going to start clamping down on in the very near future on Stack Overflow is no more duplicate titles. Like there's like eleven thousand questions that have the same exact title. Wow! <laughs> and we realized yeah. this is not good. <laughs> like you should not be able to have a question that has the same title as someone else's question. Like either make it unique or try again. Uh, there's no valid reason to have a duplicate title pretty much ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two is people who and this is a code-specific thing, so this wouldn't necessarily apply to, like, photography or whatever, but they do this drive-by thing where they dump a bunch of code on you, and there'll be, like, one or two sentences. Like, here's my problem. Fix it. Right. And it's, like, a bunch of code. And we're going to actually prevent that. We're going to say, look, if you're going to dump code on us, you have to put a reasonable amount of text in, like, explaining what the hell it is you're trying to accomplish with this code, like, what the problem is, like, in, you know, actual English. Not just, here, code, you fix. Enter. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess Can't, you don't like my idea for the plugin to Visual Studio, where you would select some text and click a link, and it would just become a Stack Exchange question. No, we're All really right. just careful about that because we try to. There's tons of guidance. There's how about if you select guidance. some code, click a link, and it calls you up and reads the code to you using the Twilio Or my favorite API. is like, what if we could submit questions by email? It's like that's even worse, you know? Yeah, <laughs> people are like. <laughs> my take would be we should never allow submitting yeah. questions except from on the site. Yeah. Well, the way yeah. okay, so let's talk about API 2.0. If you go to Stack, I mean, what if somebody wants to make a client that's sweet? <laughs> it's like a really easy to use, awesome client. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin is driving this, um, but the draft specification for 2.0, I'll post it in the chat room, and we'll put it in the podcast. It's question two five eight eight on StackApps.com. Mm-hmm. 
and you can read it over. Kevin uh, put it together. He's very methodical and, and uh, about this stuff. Yeah, he's the only one who writes specs around here, as far as I can oh, it's tell. Crazy. He got a. He got well, a bit when it of comes a, to API, you have to. I mean, when it comes to external a, interfaces, it's just yeah. you have to need more rigor. You know. Yeah. Like we 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 guarantee we're not going to break the the APIs for quite a while. Right. Whereas if you're writing, say, guarantee. a script. Like a grease monkey script, we'll break you like daily, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not part of our contract with sure. you. Like we, we can't, you know, we can rename this div anytime we want. You can't stop us from doing that. But when we publish an API, we're the contract with the community is: look, you spend your time writing these apps, and we're promised not to break you to the best of our ability. And mm-hmm. we don't always succeed, but we try. And it's you know written down somewhere that we will try not to do that. But uh, please do um, look at that spec. And uh, see what you think and provide feedback because uh, we're going to have a release by the end of the year. So your window is closing if you have feedback on that. So my controversial question, well, it might be controversial to some people that like to have controversies over these types of things. I'll make why one. do you I'll hate? Why, why, why do you hate REST? Uh, uh, do I hate REST? <laughs> that's not a fair question. Because we're hard workers. <laughs> Are you talking about in the API? Like there's some? Yeah, in the in the API. Like, what did we do wrong? What's wrong with our API? I haven't, so, honestly, most people like our API. I only hear usually good things. So uh, I'm, I'm firmly in the pragmatic REST camp, like call it REST, use HTTP, whatever. But uh, in the, the first revision, is Kevin in the chat? Now I feel like I'm going to, I was, I felt fine when I was talking about him behind his back, but now that he's here, I feel bad. Um, in, the, in the first one, there was, you know, hypermedia, there was uh, different status codes for different things. And, and now it seems like you're going towards a simpler model, which again, my personal thing is I don't think that's so bad, but I feel like why switch it if it was working? Like where was, where was the payoff? Maybe I'm just afraid of the rest folks. Well, I think simplicity. If you, so the way to look at this is go to api.stackoverflow.com or any site actually, doesn't matter. Stack it. It doesn't matter. API.stackoverflow.com slash 1.1 slash usage. And it's all documented there. I mean, I think the way we looked at this was we spent a lot of time looking at, like, Twitter's API, Facebook's API, which is not great. Um, and we tried to look at APIs that people actually liked, John, and look said, like, well, why do they like this? Like, what's good about it? And I, I think most of all, it was just simplicity. You know, what's the simplest way I can sort of... And, and, and the immediacy, like, if you go to... The usage page, you can actually click through, and you should try this, Joel, because you can actually you can click a console and you can actually type in and yeah. play with our API in your browser. Like you don't have to write a line of code to to sort of mess around with this. It's very. And I think that basic. was the overriding concern: was like, can we keep it simple? Um, more so than any sort of you know other ideas about how to build an API. It's like what's simple, what works, and what's popular with other APIs. We're also, unlike Twilio, we're not, our API is not really our product. That's true. It's just sort of got I mean, it's nice to have it be nice, but it also just kind of has to work, and it's only supporting a very small number of use cases relative to. Do, Do you have stats on how many people are using it? Oh, gosh, not in front of me. Um, I, if you I go, don't know, have you guys well, released I, I don't. that? Uh, we should actually. That's a good point. I'll bring that up. Like maybe we should have a blog post about like who's using the API, how much. I will tell you that like we internally use our API probably more than anyone. Like my position on this is like rather than building these arcane database level interfaces, mm-hmm. try as much as we can to use our own APIs to build stuff. Except in the case where it's like super performance critical and like we have to go down, as I like to say, Joel, at the database level, <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate level, the database level. That is the lowest um, level. That's a little inside joke for you. Um, but but we try to consume our own API. And I think this is very sane. This is just eating your own dog food, John. This is just saying, we're going to use our API just as much as you use it, and we're going to have as much invested in it as you do. It's not some afterthought. It's it's integrated into the core of our sites. Like, if we need to get, like, the questions off of Meta, we use our API. Now, I won't lie to you. We have a, we have a, a super, well, <laughs> secret. We have these back doors, what we call private APIs, where we need some crazy method that's not supported in the API. It's not going to be, like, say we need to look up somebody's email address. Well, obviously, we're not going to expose that in the API pretty much ever. Uh, so we have to write a private API. And there's all these ridiculous little super private API methods that we call internally. Yep. But we really do try to walk the straight and narrow there's and one say which most r- of the time use our own API to get a bell stuff, in, like in Jeff's, uh, Jeff's bedroom. It's very useful. What's that? There's what there's an API that rings a bell in Jeff's bedroom. So if he's asleep and you need him to come in the chat room, <laughs> you can just call an API function. It's it's pretty handy. Yeah. 
We uh, should actually build that. I, I'm tempted. You, you I know, could use Twilio you know, John, and hide really a phone in his A, a lot his, of uh, this is um, a lot of jobs I've had. You end up doing these secret backdoor things, and those just become the process, you know. And it takes a. It's better to have the discipline to say, no, 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 we're not going to do the secret backdoor thing to get to our data. We're going to come in through the front door, even though that means we have to completely remodel the house because the front of the house is a friggin' disaster, right? Because it ends up being just sort of like where you sweep stuff under the rug. Like, we're going to do it this special way because we have to, rather than fixing things because fixing things is painful and hard. And that's one of the reasons we try to iterate on the API is to try to, you know, we come up with new features that didn't exist. At the time 1.0 and 1.1 were around, we didn't have global inbox. Like, that was not even a feature. So, like, there's new features that just come into being between API releases. And then Kevin has an excellent blog post. If you go to um, Kevin Montrose's blog, kevinmontrose.com, I believe, yes. The, the, the mistakes that we made, the history of the Stack Exchange API uh, mistakes... Yep, uh, is quite good about documenting. Like, look, here's where we screwed up. Like, we thought about this a lot. Like, we really tried not to make mistakes with our API because we knew they would be written in stone. And even then, we made mistakes. So, you know, that's why we so, have 2.0, 1.1. On the whole, I really do like your API a lot. I'm just being a a, a jerk for entertainment. Plus, I have rest friends that I'm obligated to represent. <laughs> Well, is it is it like an abstract academic concern? Like, what's the actual problem? I mean, we don't have to necessarily drill into it here, but I mean, I would encourage you if if there's some legitimate concern, just you know, ask on Stack Apps. Um, that's what it's for. Yeah, I just well, honestly I'll, don't I'll hear a lot of complaints about it. I'll just jump into the uh, I'll have to jump into the uh, the thread. Yeah. Um, now, there's also mm-hmm. Joel. There's also a little bit of a tension with the API because. I brought up earlier, like, our mobile interface. Like, one of the major uses of the API um, w- historically was to generate sort of mobile-friendly views of our content. Oh, that's true. And now that that's sort of built into the engine, like, if you go on really an necessary. iPhone or Android or Windows Phone device, you, get you navigate nice to, you know, rpg.stackexchange, you get a really nice interface. Like, yeah. that sort of obviates the need for, like, half of the use case for the API yeah. externally. I could compl- give a long speech now about that. That's always what happens strategically. Like, when you're not a platform company like Twilio, but you're just an app company, and you're relying on the API for people to extend your app in ways that you haven't had time to do, then the people who extend the app you need to understand that if they're doing something that every Stack Overflow user is going to want, ultimately Stack Overflow is going to provide it, and your little plugin will be unnecessary. And I think that that's what happened in the in the world of Twitter, where they made an API and everybody started writing clients, and then and they they wrote a search interface, and they wrote all kinds of you know people just started writing all kinds of stuff on top of Twitter to fill in the features that the Twitter engineering teams didn't have time to do. And eventually, like a lot of those companies were sort of either bought by Twitter or squashed like bugs because ultimately Twitter has to have a search box on on their front page. They can't constantly tell people, go to surmise.com if you want to search Twitter. Right. Which works so great if you built something great and good enough that they wanted to buy it. But sucks if you did a crappy job and they just are like, yeah, we can make something better. Well, it didn't even, I mean, it wasn't even clear like who they, sometimes they bought the good ones and sometimes they just bought the cheap ones. So they bought Samize and then that was a great acquisition and they took over the whole engineering team, but they also kind of screwed Seismic. So. Yeah. It's hard to be. When uh, you work with their API, if you're building stuff that we like and gets popular, you're building us a roadmap for things we should build into (laughs) our own. And yeah, we might acquire you. We have a few unicorn bucks, but um, probably not for very much. (laughs) But the the reason I think this works in our case, Joel, and it's not um, as invasive, is because people are building the stuff because they like our sites and they want them to be better. Yeah, and they just need the stuff, and they 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 can't wait until they don't have to maintain their little thing because we built it in. Well, that's right. And, and and when we hired Kevin, one of the major reasons we hired Kevin was Kevin was just like, you know what? There should be an API. So he just went and built an API. Like, nobody told him to do this. He just did it. Um, yep. But that obviously became the template for, A, hiring Kevin, who happened to be available, and B, having an API. So, and I've written blog posts about this, but I think it's a huge mistake strategically. And Microsoft has been very bad at this lately, although Windows 8 is looking good, where what I said was, if you, if you're try, if you have a product that's out there and you're trying to improve it, the number one thing you should do is take the five most popular 
extensions or apps or whatever the heck it is and build <laughs> them, them into the damn product. <laughs> if you don't do this, then honestly, you're a moron. Like that's the number one thing you should be doing is like what's popular and fold it in. Because yeah. if it's super popular, it's, it's missing. There's a reason. You know, if somebody has to add it. So Facebook should add uh, farm farming games. Social you could make a games. very strong argument that Facebook should have a game division. I mean, uh, I think that's a totally legitimate I would, thing. To I, talk I wouldn't about. do that. I would say that, like, like essentially, Facebook should say, "Listen, we make money off of the games that people build on top of us, and they can always do a better job than we can." And and people are not going to do that. Like, Facebook makes lots of money off of Zynga, so if Facebook threatens Zynga in some way, essentially nobody's going to want to write games for Facebook. So if you build a, a game division at Facebook then you are the only provider of games. You know, there was a great example on the Macintosh in the late 80s, early 90s, where Apple would could not get anybody to write software for Mac because they had their own software division that competed against all the people that were writing software for Mac, sometimes in obnoxious ways. And they, they spun that off in a pretend spin-off in a company called Claris, which was 100% owned and operated by Apple, in order to oh, sort yeah. of pretend... That, that they weren't competing. But it's like if you're Microsoft and you're trying to write, write a great spreadsheet for Macintosh, and every time you go to a meeting at Apple, there's some guy in the room who works for Claris, and you know he's getting all the secret APIs and all the advanced look at all the new operating systems that are coming out, and it can be really frustrating. Well, I think that's a good point. And two, if you look at like Sony and Microsoft, like with the Xbox and the PlayStation 3, they have their own game divisions, right? Microsoft makes games for the Xbox. Yeah. Sony makes games. That that's doesn't true. mean that other people can't, but all it does is says, okay, we're going to launch a console, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, and we're going to make sure that we have these marquee blockbuster game events, and we're going to produce a certain number of them just to be sure that... there's always room for there to be more. Yeah. yeah, there's always room for more. Well, that's because a game is like a, you play it, and in a month you're done with it, right? You have to well, produce a steady churn of game. Whereas with uh, in the early days of, of Windows or Macintosh, there's going to be one spreadsheet, one database, and one word processor that you buy, and it was going to last for years and years and years. And um, I think there's another thing, which is it depends on if this person's running an internal division, is there, is, that, is there some sort of huge competitive advantage they can get? So with Facebook, the problem is that not only... Or would they be like making the game? But because all the traffic comes through Facebook, yeah. their games are at a huge advantage because they can just make them appear in people's news feeds more than they let the Zynga games appear. Yeah. Whereas if you're talking about you know Xbox and PS3, the marketing channel is all outside of Microsoft's control. Like you decide it based on what has the hype and what you see on TV and things. And so even if Microsoft's making its own games, that's not going to necessarily inhibit your sales. Mm -hmm. So popping the stack all the way back. I do think even in the case of Facebook getting into gaming makes total sense because it's a major use of their platform and for them not to be say okay we're going to make this a first class experience other people can do it we're going to do it too we're going to have some of the games and we're going to say this is and those are like models like if you look at like Microsoft produced Xbox games like Halo right that's a blockbuster franchise I mean third parties would be lucky to follow that model and Sony has like you know um, uh, the little big planet and other stuff that they do that are all very, yeah. very well-regarded, well-designed things. Yeah. They're all exemplars. Right. I guess that proves that Facebook could do games if they if they tried to. Wouldn't hurt. Yeah, but I mean, as, as long as, know, the, as long as the play level, the playing field is open for other competitors, right? Yeah. To right, and for that you have to. It's almost uh, based on reputation a little bit. I mean, Microsoft. It was funny because there was a big deal over Microsoft having secret Windows APIs that they only showed the Excel team. And there were there were entire books written about these secret secret undocumented Microsoft APIs, and I, I read them and I could not find a single thing in there that would give an advantage to somebody who knew about the API. Usually they were deprecated old APIs that had been in a beta build or something like that. So it's real unclear that the Microsoft apps actually got any kind of benefit internally, but it created an enormous amount of distraction where people said, "Why should we write Windows apps if um, you're gonna you know it's not going to be a level playing field?" And Microsoft was sort of forced to at least pretend to have a, a great developer relations group that, you know, really supported developers for their platform. Well, that's a dumb argument, though, Joel. That's like whenever the issue comes up of, like, Google sort of gaming search results, Yeah. you, you always say the same thing, which is, like, this should be immediately discredited because anyone with an ounce of business skill would see that this is, like, a completely unsustainable business strategy. Like, no sane <laughs> business person would ever choose a strategy. I don't care how afraid you are that, you know, it might happen. It's, it's just dumb. You know, yeah. it shouldn't be entertained as a valid idea, you know? Yeah. So. All right. Um, okay, so uh, this has been uh, any, any, any last-minute uh, news. Um, do, 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 do. 
John, where, where can pe- where can the people find you on Twitter, in the world? What's your blog? That kind of stuff. Give us Twitter. some promotion. John Sheehan, J-O-H-N-S-H-E-E-H-A-N. Right. It'll be in the show notes, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Or, or we'll, do I have to pay, we'll, do I have we'll to pay extra up. for that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, okay. can, you can make out a check to me. I'll send you the address uh, later. Uh, uh, all right. That yes. sounds good. Write it on the and, back uh, of the toy caterpillar Twilio, truck. Twilio.com, T-W-I-L-I-O. Our conference starts this week, so we're going to have some hopefully interesting announcements coming tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, that's, I cool. think, it. Any, uh, okay, wait. Let me see if I can predict what the announcement is going to be. Hold on. <laughs> uh, has there been any kind of leaks or anything? There have been no leaks. So Ooh. there's some kind of cool announcement. Wait, we got to have at least one leak on the show. Give us a hint. Come on. Now, I was actually speaking to your boss, Jeff, the other day <laughs> at Disrupt. And yeah. I do remember him telling me we're going to announce dot, dot, dot. But I just completely... Do you, you were there, right, Alex? Yes. I, I, yeah. And what, I was there at the hackathon. What was the... Uh, what did he tell me they were going to announce? I just can't remember. There was the Some thing kind of music. The they're going to have a music service. Oh, no, we are Facebook. going to announce... They're making an iPad one, app. That lunch is served at noon. No, it's a new kind of Noon's thing. Noon's too early. You should really be going telephony. for 12.15. Fa- fax machines? Dr- drug dealer beepers? Pagers? What are those called? Paging, paging devices? <laughs> By the way, John, I assume if our users, uh, any of our listeners ping you on Twitter, they can have free Twilio credit, right? Uh, I will send people t-shirts and stickers. T-shirts and stickers are always Gotta good. Gotta get in touch. Um, you've been listening to Stack Exchange Podcast number 19. Number 19. And um, number 19. I, I'm supposed to do an advertisement here. So I want to do an advertisement for Careers 2.0 if you're a programmer and you want a better job. Um, I don't know if you've been following those of you listening at home, but Careers 2.0 has um, all kinds of awesome new features in your profile. So it's not just listing where you've worked and your education and stuff, but it also lets you list the books that you've written, for example, in my case, um, your contributions to GitHub, books that you like reading, uh, and all kinds of other stuff like that that you sort of put in there, and it looks much more impressive and more interesting to an employer than just a traditional cover letter resume kind of situation. So that's uh, Stack Overflow Careers 2.0 at careers.stackoverflow.com. Com. Our guest next week is John Syracuse of Ars Technica. Oh yeah, he oh, wrote that nice. awesome review of Apple Line. Yeah, he's done actually more than that, Joel. But yeah, yeah, I know. That's all I really remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he's I also named a... John. We have a trend of Johns. This is good. We do. We're doing. We, let's do. Let's do John Month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. John month. <laughs> my, my my favorite John was John Diacaza. Who's that? John that was Miguel. <laughs> my, my, yes, Miguel Diacasa. By the way, my favorite part about him saying, let's do John month, is that there's only one episode left for this the month, month, and right. we already have John booked on it. So, yeah. boom. No, let's do Done. it in October. Now we already used up two of the Johns. I, that's no, no, not no, my that's, problem. That's the rock month, Rocktober. Those all have to be rock God. <laughs> okay, we got Rock Hard Awesome. We got Rock Hymas from downstairs. Here I am. Um, rock of Ages, the Jewish Eddie Van Halen will be on. like a Okay. Yeah. Alex, get Rock on that. Eddie Van Halen. Fest. Eddie Van Halen, got it. I, I'll have that for next week. See awesome. you next week. Bye, everyone. Right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.